You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Dear listeners, this week we're joined by Dr. Mosan Kalantari, who's the Senior Lecturer in Infrastructure and Engineering at Melbourne University with the Centre for Spatial Data, Infrastructures and Land Administration. Now, Mosan, you uh, wrote a very interesting piece regarding the New South Wales privatisation of land titles. And listeners, you've heard me going on about it. And of course, you can imagine how outraged I am that the Victorian government has uh, enacted a similar sort of privatisation agenda here. So, Mosin, uh, tell us a bit about the New South Wales experience and what we've learnt there. Well, with the New South Wales, uh, obviously, they decided to to privatise the uh, land title office on the basis that they can improve the services and technologies uh, or better customer service, if you like. Uh, but I guess the argument I had was uh, New South Wales Land Registry is one of the best in the world. So what exactly this improvement means in terms of the privatization. So that was uh, the problem that wasn't clear with the New South Wales. And I guess I I can see in the uh, finance minister's speech here as well that uh, in Victoria we are sort of arguing in the same line. So it's about technology, it's about better service delivery. But the question is, what is wrong with our land title office that we want to privatize so the private sector can do a better job? That's right. And you raised in the article that within 24 hours, someone can have their property title approved, which is very handy in real estate. And how much better can you get? Uh, That's right. So uh, as I mentioned uh, in my article as well, so this is what in general what we have in Australia. It's not only Victoria and New South Wales. In general, uh, Australian titling system, which are different in every every jurisdiction, are one of the best best in the world. In fact, most of the countries try to follow our systems here. So then I I always wonder, uh, while the titling is not a is on the territory of the private sector. Okay, what private sector can do a better job without having experience in this space? Mm, that, that is right. And the Law Society of New South Wales had some very interesting points that they were concerned about. And, of course, the most basic one is within privatisation, there is uh, commercial inconfidence that's signed on to any contract. So what actual uh, requirement is there going to be for this private sector to update their technology when they are running one of the world's best monopolies? There will be no competition in this sector, so there will be no requirement for them to upgrade their technology and unless something's hidden hidden in the contractual details. Have you heard anything along those lines, uh, Dr. Mosin Kalantari? Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, we haven't seen the details of uh, the contractual arrangement in, in New South Wales. And, uh, but the experience from the other countries, Canada, I'll take the Ontario, uh, Ontario example, uh, they started in uh, 1991, 
they privatized back then well the it wasn't about privatization back then it was about uh, public private partnership to to exactly improve the technology so they, they it was a it was a manual paper-based system back then so the idea was to automate the process so digitize the process similar uh, at the similar sort of time frame we started in victoria doing the same thing so uh, automating our titling system uh, in 2005 uh, after almost uh, 15 years 16 years uh, they were able the private sector were able to do only 80 percent of this his job and uh, but I at the same time in victoria uh, i i think that we we already sort of covered uh, our uh, automation process finish automation process now other thing is about the privatization we should also be aware uh, example of Ontario again uh, in 2005 15 top executive of the mm, company that was running the uh, land registry in Ontario er earned around 160 million dollars yeah, this is according to an article uh, uh, I was reading online. So, so that is a significant uh, uh, difference. Mm. Uh, Ten between, million dollars each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is that is you start sort of questioning. Oh, where are we going? Is it is it really about uh, about uh, better improvement of the service? Which from the government side it might be, but we then the private sector have obviously has always different sort of agenda. Private sector is about the shareholders, uh, not about the public interest. So that is something mm. to, to consider here. So for listeners, we, Tim Pellis, the treasurer, announced that they were going to privatise the Victorian Land Titles Office and they were hoping for some $2 billion in the sale there. And... Uh, it looked to me very much like that with this state budget, they were using this $2 billion to finance the $1.9 billion in domestic violence programs they've announced. And when you consider a significant amount of the domestic violence issues relate to financial pressures and with housing such a big factor in those costs, it's rather ironic that they're uh, going to privatise the land titles office, which will probably lead to higher costs for housing affordability researchers uh, in the long run. So uh, you're pointing to the fact that they can't get much more efficient. So instead of the efficiency argument, that's the cover story, and we're here delving into what it could really mean. And so what other jurisdictions have privatised their land titles offices? Are there many others we can look at to learn from? Uh, Ontario in Canada, as I mentioned, uh, Manitoba also is is another uh, uh, province in Canada. That's that's the these are two sort of uh, sort of pro provinces or two examples that are close to to Australia. I, I'm not aware of any other around the world. South Australia is also considering, and even sort of ahead of Victoria. I presume the listeners are aware if they are following the the privatisation. Screaming yeah. about South Australia yeah. as well as New South Wales, and there's yeah. rumours that the uh, uh, Western Australians are onto it as well. And if we look into the company that's bought the New South Wales registry, it seems like they're going to get the inside running for all of the other 
titles officers, and yep. that's a group called the Hastings uh, Funds Group. Yep. Uh, do you know much about Hastings? Well, uh, no, I don't have much insight to Hastings yet. Well, the news is they're 100% owned by Westpac, one of our big four banks. So yep. uh, there you go. There's another area that they're going to make some easy money with monopoly rights. And Hastings Funds Management specializes in infrastructure investments, uh, which is uh, code for the toll booth economy, where mm. uh, these privatizations of, of natural monopolies lead to higher and higher costs for the rest of society. Yeah, yeah. Higher cost is, I can give you another example in Canada again about higher cost. If you compare Ontario and Alberta, Alberta also went down the track of examining the privatization and they, the real estate group there, uh, they also sort of did a study and ended up uh, recommending against the privatization. But I, I give you an example to compare the title search cost in Alberta and Ontario. In, in Alberta, you, it costs you $10 to search a title or parcel of land. In Ontario, it's $30, almost 29 something. So triple the, the price. Uh, so this is, again, a significant difference. It's the same, almost the same systems, uh, same services, same title office, but uh, three times more expensive. Mm. Uh, that is basic title search. But if you uh, sort of delve deeper, so you could sort of, see other differences there so yeah and new south wales has some nine hundred thousand title searches and exchanges each year and victoria is probably around seven hundred thousand so i think uh you know there's 130 odd million dollars in profit uh, from the victorian land titles office uh, uh, it seems like the government is trying to do the job by regulating the pricing on this and they've put a 35 year uh concessional leasing agreement with uh, the New South Wales privatisation. So I dare say each other state will fall into line with that. How effective do you think that sort of land price regulation will be in terms of the overall uh, provision of services? Well, obviously regulation, one thing. So you could regulate that sort of the fees shouldn't go up or should stay in certain prices. But... Uh, then there is that land information, which is quite valuable. In raw form, not. But if you value add to that, then states won't be able to to put a price on on top of that. So you've got a public data in hand of the uh, the private sector, and they can value add, provide other services from the from the data. Uh, and that is where you can't really put a fee on it. You put a cap because that is that's a, a different different type of service. So, uh, you might start a new service today that is not in the contractual arrangement. So for that one, uh, th that is that is where the public uh, won't benefit from from that aspect of the privatization. Victoria's population is growing, okay? So we will have more transaction than we currently have. So uh, it, most probably the, the revenue that Land Victoria, Land Use Victoria is generating is going to increase because the land transaction will increase. Uh, but how much the public will benefit from that? That is, that's an interesting question. 
And whereas the land titles office is uh, its the most important job is recording the actual lot number to a land title and then securing that privately and so that it is a recognised and respected source of information for any resulting legal cases that might dispute who owns the property or where the property boundaries are. All of those facts are locked up with the land titling office. Yeah. One of the things I'm interested in is whether the costs for related government organisations are also going to increase, such as for the valuer general. Now, the valuer general keeps an eye on the land values, the site values, the, the total property uh, valuations. And so I wonder if uh, any other services, uh, ancillary services, will be uh, affected by this privatisation. Well, when we're talking about the title and the, the map that is created from the title titling process, so we've got to look at two two different things. So when a title issued, before a title is sort of issued, so you've got a license surveyor that uh, measures uh, the boundaries, so defines all the rights, restrictions, uh, obligations on the land, and submits that as a, a sub, uh, subdivision plan. Then the subdivision plan is examined in the title office, by the officers and the, the title is issued. But the boundaries that are uh, measured by the, by the license surveyor gets uh, into a map, uh, which, which, which we call it in Victoria Vic map property. So it's a property map base. And that property map base is uh, being maintained as a result of collaboration uh, between the local governments and the state government. So one of the aspects that the privatization will have an impact is how this uh, collaborative environment that the WICMAP uh, is being updated is going to have, uh, is going to be influenced by, by the privatization. On the similar line, uh, the services that we have in, in the title office is currently being modernized. It's, we have projects that are uh, modernizing our title office. So the subdivision plan that currently is being lodged at Land Victoria comes as an image or a PDF file. Now, the Land Victoria, uh, over the last eight years, working on a project to replace that uh, file with digital files. So then the extraction and update of the map base is, is much more easier. And this is done with collaboration uh, with the other states. Okay, so we have an element of collaboration not only with the local government but between the states as well. So then the other question is how this uh, pr privatization is going to, to, uh, to have an impact on uh, on the current uh, current sort of collaborative environment that we have, and uh, uh, and this collaborative environment is really driven by the public interest, not the private interest. So, if the private sector doesn't see immediate benefit from that, these uh, this collaboration will will stop. 
Well, that's an interesting point here on 3CR's Renegade Economist. We're in discussion with Dr. Mosin Kalantari about the privatisation of yet another government service. This is the world-leading land titles office of Victoria. And Mosin, when you were talking about uh, the possible workarounds regarding the pricing regulation, it got me thinking of what they do in other privatised sectors, such as electricity, where they've developed a very nebulous depreciation measure called depreciated optimized replacement costs dork for short and what that means is they can have accelerated depreciation schedules as if they're replacing the entire land titles office uh, infrastructure costs base the all of the assets they've got every year and they write that off against uh, their profits and that allows them to actually uh, sneak the pricing up um, here and there. So there are some tricks to the trade in, in the privatisation world and uh, we've got to hope that there becomes a bit of a public groundswell of concern about uh, yet another increase in costs. And one of the things I've noticed uh, in the New South Wales Valuer General's office is that uh, some of the macro data is, is difficult to find now. So I'm wondering uh, how the Land Titles Office privatisation, they may well make it more difficult on this sort of collaborative aspect you're talking about for uh, suburban level analysis, uh, these sort of things within uh, geospatial analysis. In terms of the, the geospatial data, the, what we generate in the title office is the really fine-grained data. So it's the parcel, uh, sort of smallest, uh, the the smallest unit that uh, that can you, you can have in the in the property uh, data, and then uh, from there, so you can aggregate the data, come up with the suburb the suburb level data. So there's a lot of possibilities how you. Uh, you can uh, you play with the data and generate different types of products uh, from the from the data. So again, you, some some would argue, okay, that is that is exactly the point. So if the government is not doing, okay, let's private sector have access to to this data and and do it. But that is one way. The other way is that uh, government can. Uh, can uh, promote and incentivize this use of this type of data uh, through different channels, uh, like uh, using sort of a startup, supporting startup companies, providing this data, uh, particularly for the the government challenges like housing issues. So, if you want to uh, to have a better solution for the housing, provide this data, provide the valuation data that is already. Uh, you have to pay in Victoria, so it's not for free. It's not available. Uh, uh, provide the VicMap. VicMap is, although it is freely available, so to to create the uh, the environment that some of the intelligence that is available in the data can be uh, can be uh, can come up to, to the surface by by the uh, by the technology and innovation environment. So, listeners. Um You've heard me talk about geospatial analysis before and just put this picture in your mind of being able to fly over Carlton here in uh, the north of Melbourne and see uh, a whole pile of visual visualizations of where the dentists are, where the diabetes centers are, 
what the price of housing is in the area, what the future infrastructure developments are. That is some of the potential of what we're, uh, what, what is possible in this modern era. Dr. Kalantari, can you tell us how this privatisation of the Land Titles Office may uh, curb the potentials of geospatial analysis? There are two things here. One is the government has this open data policy. So we've got to continue this open data policy. So the data that is being generated in the process of titling, uh, which ends up to VicMap, uh, we have the geospatial VicMap property data. So that needs to sort of continue to be freely available. But in in the process of the uh, land transactions, uh, you have the accurate dimensions of these properties that are not transferred to the VicMap. And that's one of the problems that we have in, in the current VicMap property. So it's not accurate, especially accurate for uh, engineering type uh, projects. So there, are, uh, there was this study done uh, in, in Victoria that basically uh, it costs around a million dollar a year for the asset owner as a result of the inaccurate map base, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is these duplication efforts uh, in, in some organizations, like we have uh, Melbourne City Council, they, they, for their uh, sort of administration management purposes, they need to have this accurate map base. So uh, there is a duplication sort of effort, and that costs around $1.8 million annually in Victoria. Local governments have to, because of the uh, the uh, accuracy issues of the VicMap property, they also uh, spend around $2 million across, uh, across Victoria to sort of crunch the data, to adjust the data to their, uh, in, in for their applications, okay? So these are the problems that we have. It's not, uh, the problem that we have is not this uh, the service uh, quality of service to the to the customers. We have problems with the with the accuracy quality of the data. So it, the VicMap property is great; it's being used for many applications, but it can be improved upon. It can be uh, used for in more more intelligently, and uh, that is where this investment, if the government is trying to 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 invest, so this is the, this is the type of investment that can benefit uh, in the long run uh, f- uh, the, uh, to, to the community, benefit the community uh, in the long run. So if we, have, uh, if we have the accurate map base, our titling process can be even more efficient than it is. So your digital data, you can uh, automatically check if it fits in the in the right place, it has the accuracy. It it, it validates against the uh, against the regulations. So these are the things that we can benefit from improving our geospatial data, uh, rather than uh, trying to sell this as as a uh, better customer service, better sort of uh, technology. That sounds uh, like quite a contrast having a private company uh, with the aim of improving public information and that those sort of expenditures would be outside the remit of a profit-making enterprise because it's only going to benefit the community it's not going to benefit that company that's right the the benefit uh, that you 
get. It, it's not going to be firstly immediately uh, recognized. So you won't see the immediate effect. But since it's in the long run that you provide this data uh, uh, that is accurate, so immediately engineering projects, or local government efforts, duplication efforts can go away. But then from there you have pretty solid uh, data uh, base that can be used for many other types of applications. Now, Dr. Kalantari sent me an article uh, talking about housing affordability and geospatial analysis. So here at the Renegade Economist, that's of course one of our prime aims, and I was delighted to see that uh, the importance of location needs to be included in any discussion about housing affordability. Now, how are you incorporating that in this model of analysis you're developing? Well, there are, when we talk about housing affordability, uh, people usually uh, look at the economic factors, okay? Uh, people's income and their ability to, uh, to repay their mortgage, so interest rates, so the ability to borrow. So these are the uh, overall things that in general uh, public looks at. It. And also even the government, if you look at the housing package, the, the new budget, so it really looks at the the supply side. Looking at the first home buyer uh, grants, stamp duty, social housing, cheaper cheaper loans. So uh, except for social housing, which is really about the supply side of the uh, side of the uh, the housing affordability, the others are really looking at the demand. So uh, the uh, making providing money in simple there to people to, to purchase. But housing is not only about this. Housing affordability also is a function of availability of land, availability of housing, and also the process that it takes from land to a built property. Okay, that is, that is where these geospatial data can help you. So you can have more intelligent into very, what is the potential for development in every suburb based on the improved uh, value of a property and on improved value of a property. So you could, with the data that we currently have, we could sort of get into that detail. So every every land parcel that we have in every suburbs of, you know, in Victoria, we can uh, identify it if it has the potential for, for development in a in geospatial sense. So you can see a whole suburb, a local government, and see how many land parcels are available or how many, what is the potential of every local government for, for a new, new housing. Besides that, you could also do better analysis of how long does every individual uh, uh, planning approval, building permit sort of takes. So you could also do a, uh, analysis of that for every suburb, every uh, every local government. So these are more intelligent. So then you can direct your funding, your uh, resources towards where there is a problem. So the problem only is not about if people can afford and uh, to borrow, people can afford to uh, uh, to repay their their mortgage. But uh, we we also. We don't want to leave everywhere uh, that government says. So you have, 
you have uh, you want to select your own area, and from one area to another area, the affordability will going, is, is going to change. So it's not the same affordability. If you want to live in Carlton, probably it's not affordable, but if you go to live 20 kilometers away, then it becomes affordable for you. So these are also uh, factors that the geospatial data can, can help to, so we can direct our, the, our efforts to, prob to the areas that we have. So you're suggesting that our understanding of the land supply problem could be provided in a lot more granular sense, and from that government would have a better idea of population growth. They could also have an idea of what the possible affordability outcomes would be if certain areas were rezoned and houses were built on them. That's right, yeah. And that's the big mystery we have with this land supply um, mantra because uh, for nearly 20 years now, uh, Victoria has rezoned the, the outskirts of Melbourne uh, extensively, but we're still yet to see any significant house price uh, corrections. Uh, your geospatial mapping might be able to show that all they've done is reduce the lot size for people who live on the sprawl uh, to push up the per metre per square metre price of that land. So uh, we're getting dotted on this and geospatial should be a really important aspect for transparency for anyone who's interested in affordability. That's right, with the availability of not only geospatial data but also being able to uh, to integrate the statistical economic data with the geospatial data mm. so you can get more out of the out of the data. So that is exactly where uh, we need to, if we are looking long term, if we are not sort of looking sort of in, in, in another uh, so in three years or looking at the election cycles, you're looking at the long term, I'm sure uh, there's a lot with the data you can do. It's just a matter of recognizing that there is potential there. Well, Dr. Mosan Kalantari, thanks so much for joining us here on 3CR's Renegade Economist and good luck with the upcoming campaign to save one of the last remaining crown jewels we have here in Victoria, the Victorian Land Titles Office. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for having me.